Hey everybody, it's Adam Blake back with the new podcast again. Uh, we are on our second installment of Women Who Rock series. We had Beth Morford on the last one. We've got a friend of Beth uh, on this one, but a woman who rocks in a, I think, a totally different way. Uh, one of the nicest people in the industry to me. Oh, I mean, to everyone, but in my opinion, also. Um, an ultra distance athlete in all seasons and terrains, an event promoter and educator. And I correct me immediately if I'm wrong, but the only woman to share the overall top podium spot in the ITI 1000, the Iditarod 1000. And if that's accurate, which I'm pretty confident it is undoubtedly a woman who rocks, Jill Martindale. Hi, Jill. Hi, Adam. Thanks is that correct? Me. That's correct, right? For only that is, correct. That is oh, yeah. so mind blowing. Um, be, but I guess when we're talking, and we'll talk about it in more in depth. But when we're only talking about maybe fifty-ish overall finishers, um, I guess the numbers can kind of start to jive, right there. You know, um, I don't know how many people overall have finished the thousand mile ITI. I thought Steve Cannon, when I interviewed him last year, had told me in the 40s. So I'm just kind of going to 50 as a round number. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, if he's checked it, that's that's awesome. That means you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'll just trust whatever Steve says to me. Um <laughs> So we'll talk about ITI 1000 and that experience and, and kind of your perspectives on certain things, because of course, um, 2020 was unique in a lot of ways, but the ITI was also quite unique in some environmental things, proving that it is the, it's in control at all times. Um, but sooner than that, you have the polar roll coming up. Is that correct? Yeah, um, so Polar Roll had to adjust and kind of adapt to the way that they normally do the race. So rather than, you know, everybody meeting on the same day, uh, Todd Poquette is going to have um, like a window of time that people can do the Polar Roll. So I'll be headed up next weekend uh, with Denny Acker, Chelsea Strait, and Megan Barr. And we're going to- Your crew, right? That's your crew. <laughs> we're going to have a great time. Um, but it's, it's neat because Todd opens up, um, you know, the, the window of time that you're able to go. Um, so it helps reduce the spread of COVID-19 because not as many people are walking to one area at the same time. Um, but I think it's neat too, because people get to, you know, get out there when their schedule allows. Um, so yeah, we talked to Todd a couple months ago, actually, after he had done his Crusher EX, which you've done with... Chelsea and Jenny, I think, was the crew, right? Megan didn't make that one. But, um, you know, he really talked about how the success of Crusher EX had enlightened him um, to a new variety of how to challenge, because you know him personally and people that listen to that show. And if you didn't, you should, because it's a he's a very he's got a focus. I'll just say how about. Um, and I think that it's awesome that he's adapted things like the polar roll which can you give the details on your, uh, the distances? Is it called Polar Roll EX, like Crusher EX was? I think it is called EX, but that doesn't mean that it's super endurance race. Right, right, right. Is it 40 miles? 35 miles for the long distance. So with Todd, could be up to 50? Who knows? Yeah, right. 
Uh, yeah, it's 35 for the long distance, uh, 20 for the shorter distance. And then supposedly there's a like a like a secret route, uh, which he sent me the GPX for earlier this morning. I haven't had a chance to check it out. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, for people who sign up for it, I, I guess they get that little bonus. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Yeah. And then, you think um, you got, you know, <laughs> let's see what's up. I love Marquette and I love the snow. So I'm just really excited to get, get out there and ride. Um, but yeah, polar roll, you can do um, either the fat bike or there's a snow, a couple different snowshoe routes too, or distances too. Yeah, not snowshoeing for me. Like it casually. I don't want to cover actual distance doing it though. I'm the same. <laughs> um, so what I'd like to talk about uh, maybe a little bit with you as you've done the biggest of the big in winter uh, and you're doing, and you are uh, around in the local, you know, local race scene, you know, the twenties, thirties, forties too, um, mileage. Uh, how do you prepare for going to a winter event when winter can be, and obviously in the summer, it could rain, right? That's a thing. But in the winter, it could snow, ice, sleet, get hot, get cold, uh, have a moose walk on it, um, you know, like whatever. How do you prepare and how much is too much in regards to like, would you ever consider traveling to a race with a different set of tires, studded or non-studded maybe? Would you, clothing obviously, um, I think goes with all events. But in winter, I think there's that extra layer of safety and confidence and, and things like that. So can you kind of, I don't know, maybe walk me through how you think about like, obviously experience helps, right? You've experienced certain temperature ranges and conditions. It's a frame of reference. But like, if you're going to something like Polar Roll and you're traveling and you want to make it your shot to do it, what goes on the table for taking and what comes off the table and you're like, I'm just not going to mess with it. I'm going to run what I brung and I'm confident in that. Yeah. Um, so tires is a big thing in the fat bike race scene, uh, just because there's so many different tires that exist for all sorts of different types of snow. So um, like 45 North makes the Van Helga tire, which is really great. And My personal favorite tire that exists in all sizes. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um, it's got these big aggressive lugs on it. So it grabs like any kind of bushy snow. Um, and then they make something like a, a Husker Dew, which is great for groomed single track. Like if it's, you know, it's going to be like pristine conditions, that's a really fast rolling tire. The lugs are smaller and it's very lightweight. So it just kind of rolls really quickly. Um, my favorite for down here in Michigan is um, the Rath, Rathlord. Oh, so, sure. The big, the king killer. Yeah. So it's the aggressive lugs with the extra large studs in it. Because in Michigan, we have a lot of the freeze and the thaw. And we have a lot of ice. And we have a lot of chunky snow. But we also have room single track, too. So for me, it's it's a good tire that just kind of all around encompasses everything. Um, but when I'm doing something like an expedition or a multi-day trip, and I'm going out and I know that the weather conditions... Um, for ITI in 2020, it was as warm as like 35, 40 degrees, and it got as cold as negative 65. Um, it's a range. Yeah. So we were riding in high winds, in rain, in snow, in 
I think we counted out of 22 days, there were like four days that were like really pretty um, in great weather conditions. And the rest of the time it was just kind of mush or kind of rougher to ride in. So the Dillinger fives that are studded that 45 North puts out there, um, those tires, it's five inches of float. So it can float over the mushy stuff. It's got tread, it's got studs. Um, for me, that's my favorite like winter altar tire just because it, it can kind of do anything. Kind of the versatility as, especially in a longer duration, conditions are guaranteed to change. Do you think now you're not the tallest person I've ever met? I think that's okay to say, right? Do you have you dabbled in the 27 and a half four? Not for like ITI, maybe, but on the on the shorter stuff where maybe flotation isn't, or is that just a, a wheel size that uh, doesn't jive as much, even though frames are getting better with those wheel sizes? You know, I did the um, I did the Van Hogas in 27.5 for the Tuscovia Winter Ultra. And mm -hmm. that one is 160 miles in Wisconsin. Um, it's on a snowmobile trail, which is uh, relatively straight and flat. There's a couple of turns, a couple of hills, but otherwise you're just kind of hauling and going. Um, so that race, I tried out the 27.5 wheels. And for that course, uh, that year, those wheel sizes were really good. So the they carried momentum. You could wind them up and just roll. Yeah, since there weren't a lot of turns um, and not a lot of technical uh, stuff that year, it was just really fast rolling. Um, so I was happy with that for groom single track or riding frozen gravel. I think the 27.5 uh, wheel size is really great for stuff like that. Um, but yeah, being a shorter rider, I don't know. I don't know if that really gets into it because the sidewalls of the tires are relatively just as tall, right? Yeah, I think there's some height discrepancy or, you know, uh, correlations and stuff. I just wondered, people tend to correlate bigger wheel size with like, you know, 29ers took a long time for five foot three and under to fit well. Um, hence 27 and a half there, which they just figured out how to make frames better, you know, but like, I just wondered what your, what your thought is on that as when ladies, are when we're probably saying an average of what five six and under and a 27 and a half four or even four five on other um, tires is a really large tire um, so I just kind of wondered knowing that you with your connections and people that you ride with I, I assumed that at some point you'd ridden both and kind of just wondered what your preference was yeah um, for me I like that smaller tire diameter uh, just because I like it gives me a little bit more of like an edge when I'm doing like the technical stuff. Um, sure. If I had that bigger tire size, I don't think I'd be able to like turn as quickly or um, navigate some tight twisty stuff as, mm -hmm. as good as I am. Because I'm, I mean, I'm not, I don't have cat like reflexes. So, like, <laughs> so I will take any help I can. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. Before we go on a long diatribe about a specific tire, because I've already done it even on fatbike.com. And once the Van Helga got on 27 and a half four, that was the game changer. I'd run dillies and stuff and the van, my traction got, it just steering every aspect got improved. Um, talk about like uh, maybe, you know, you're a 45 North athlete currently, correct? Keeping your biscuits warm. Uh, talk about, 
you know, I think they do a wonderful job of setting out parameters for temperature ranges, you know, as they've uh, gone up and down in the range scale of accommodation. But it's so hard to tell somebody what a temperature is going to be comfortable, you know. How do you prepare? My assumption is a form of a kit of some kind, like layering kit. But maybe um, thinking about a 30 degree snow race, and let's just all put them at 50 miles. How about 20 degree, 10 degree? And maybe you don't have to do every 10, but you know, like at what points are you implementing, uh, I'll call them safety precautions to mitigate overheating at one extent and to mitigate freezing to death at the other extent. Let's just be honest about it. Yeah. So um, first things first, I always start out a race cold. Um, so like I'll try to wear like a puffy coat or something. If there's somebody to wear, I can hand that off um, at the start. That's great. But I always want to be cold at the start of a race because as soon as I start pedaling, especially if um, it's like a, a race where I'm trying to get the whole shot or I'm, I'm just trying to take off really fast. Yeah, lean back. Yeah, I'll get sweaty like immediately. Um, so I always start out cold for something like 30 degrees. Oh, yeah. Do you think that pre-riding, not to derail or distract you, but do you think that pre-riding obviously plays quite a factor in the confidence that I'm currently cold, but I will get to where I need to be, you know? I Sorry. Think, no, no, you're good. Um, I think pre-riding can help with that and judging to see if you're going to overheat or not. But I also think that pre-riding um, is a pretty good idea just to dial in tire pressure. Sure, of course. Know what that snow is like, um, but for a long distance race like ITI, um, yeah, I cruised around to make sure that everything was going to stay on my bike and to make sure that I had the right tire pressure. But um, I didn't like. It's not like I went and warmed up for fifteen minutes. Before. You didn't go rips and hill repeats before a thousand mile rides. No. <laughs> and tire pressure, you know, at ITI could be different in twenty miles. It yeah, exactly. Like everything changed like just around. So back to clothing, let's see how we, you know, maybe 30 is too warm because I think almost everyone could exist at 30 with what they have probably. Let's say like a 15 degree race is our starting point, 15, zero and negative 15. How about those three? Yeah, no, that's perfect. Uh, so 15 degrees, um, I would wear um, just my, I don't wear a chamois, so I would just wear like my normal exodicio underwear. Um, and then I would do something like, uh, Gore makes like a trail kind of Gore windstopper material pants. Oh, sure. So I would do those, um, mid calf wool socks, uh, wolf hammer boots. If there's deep snow, then I would wear my gaiters to help prevent, mm -hmm. um, snow from get, getting into the boot or anything like that. And then on my upper level, I would do just a base layer and like a windbreaker. Like a wool base layer. Yeah. Any synthetic over that wool there to move it or you wool's doing plenty at that temperature for you? So um, the Patagonia Air Capoline base layer is like a wool synthetic woven blend. Yeah. And that thing's magic. Like no matter how sweaty you get, it evaporates. Yeah, those are, I saw, I got turned on to those by somebody for recold and it was all, I was like, oh, that's an investment piece, especially from Patagonia, you know, you can expect it to last. Yeah, I have one with the hoodie and one without the hoodie. And those hoodie. Are, 
Yeah, <laughs> the hoodies won't stop. Um, so those are, yeah, great, awesome pieces. And then just uh, something like the 45 North Torvald jacket over top of just that one base layer. For me, 15 degrees, that is enough. Um, How about head and hands? Are you a pogey or non-pogey? Um, at 15. Yeah, 15 degrees. If it were a winter ultra, I would I would still take my pogies because, you know, you don't know what weather it's going to be. If mm -hmm. it's gonna right. um, but 15 degrees for like a 50 mile race, I would just wear my um, my surface fives. Fives. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, headwise, um, greasy cap underneath my helmet. Best cap in the business comes up all the time in these. Yeah. All um, the time. There, um, that bill is perfect. Cause if I agree. There's three in our house. Oh, nice. I think my wife only knows about two. That's my shish. <laughs> She's going to listen. You're going to be outed. <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time. Um, yeah, zero degrees. Um, I would most likely switch then to uh, like a wool base layer bottom mm -hmm. and um, like a shell on my bottom. So like the knot bin. Sure. Um, or I would do just the knot bin niggers on the bottom with Savoy button posters. I'm, my wife and I got the bib knickers this year. Holy moly. <laughs> if I could afford them, I'd have 10 pairs and I don't even ride 10 days. You know, there's not 10 days in a week. That's like absurd, but they're the best thing I've, they're one of the best things I've ever bought for winter. And that's not a shill or anything that is, oh man, comfy and they vent and they're nice and they're versatile. For um, like a 50 degree race, if, if I'm going to go and do that really fast, um, those knickers would be great, but I usually hydrate so much that I have to go pee a lot. Ah, there's the issue I don't have. <laughs> yeah. And the so zip clear up to the chest. So it's not an easy bib to get in and out of. Yeah. For so a lady. Like really good, really good conditions, moving really fast. Those knickers are awesome. Um, or if I'm going to, you know, maybe ride for three to six hours. But if I was going to do a 50 mile race and it was like, I, I expected to hike a bike. Um, that's when I would do the wool base layer with the knot and shells at the top. Sure. And some coverage a little lower on the ankles too, from the full bib for, or the full tight versus like a knicker. Yeah. Especially with hike a bike, I guess you mentioned. So that's why I wondered. Yeah. It would help to, um, kind of keep it. Um, and I would do like my OR gators. So sure. that snow from falling into my boot or, um, a little bit of, uh, like a little bit more of a shell over your shin too will help to keep your feet warm. Oh yeah, I think gators are underrated. Yeah, they're they're a cool piece for sure. Um, and then top, I would um, like we have a forty five north like team jacket, mm -hmm. which is, um, like we've got a thermal and a windstopper. So I would do that same Kepelian Airbase layer bottom or top, sorry, Kepelian Airbase layer top with like a thermal jersey and then like a windbreaker over top. Nice. Yeah. And then how about like the, not negative 60, because I don't know a lot of people are riding negative 60, but here in Iowa, we had negative 20, 15, 10 last week for sustained. What about, let's just call it negative 15. And, and I'll disclaimer this. If you don't kind of already know how to dress for negative 15, maybe don't start there. But 
Um, when do you transition from shoes, boots like the Wolf Hammer that you mentioned? Do you ever transition to Wolf Gar or do you go like flat pedal Sorel or Keen or somebody? So for um, any winter expedition like ITI, those Wolf Gars definitely are the boot to take. And are you clipping in? I am. Nice. Me too. I like yeah. it. It's <laughs> <laughs> climbing easier. Um, so yeah. Around zero two, I'll use the wolf bars if I think I'm going to be in the boots for like a long amount of time. Sure. As I start to get tired um, and as I fatigue, my body just starts to get colder. So I know anything like um, all day long on the bike, sun up to sundown, yeah, the wolf bars. But if it's a 50 mile, um, the wolf hammers are pretty, you know, adequate for that. But for negative temps, definitely the wolf bars, uh, knee high wolf socks. Um, base layer bottom with my Segoy bun posters, mm -hmm. um, and then the top uh, two of the Capilene air base layers. <laughs> Do you find that that does move the moisture effectively for you? Yeah, it does. Nice. Um, so I've, yeah, I've been really happy with those. Um, the hood is really nice too. You look like a huge dork. But you Who cares? Your helmet. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> It's like just a little bit extra warm for your head. Uh, it looks goofy, but it's I don't know. rain jackets with hoods. That's <laughs> you know, Jay Peterberry and I talked about how a rain jacket has to have a hood, even if you look like a total tool with it over your helmet. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I have some of the Oakley wind jacket uh, glasses, which is kind of like a goggle sunglass. Eye protection, very important at that temperature negative 20 or if it's like high winds um i've got this thing called a nose hat which yeah you know covers the bridge of your nose right your protects nose. exposed skin at that point do you do any vaseline or um some of those patches and band-aid type things that i see people do maybe on the upper cheeks i do um it's like a coconut oil vaseline um olive oil uh tea tree oil kind of mixture sure like a more natural oil just to keep the wind from drying your face to it's like slathered everywhere and then i even use it as like chapstick um, oh sure yeah whatever yeah. um so i want to touch on quick uh be real quick before we'll take a break and then we'll come back to this but you know what i'm trying to get out of you right now uh or what you're allowing me to get out of you right now you also provide to people uh via an event that you promote uh, called the Winter Shakedown. Uh, nobody knows this but me, but it's got really nice looking gear. I can tell you that. <laughs> As I can see Jill with the doggos. Uh, it didn't happen this year, kind of out of your control um, as, as a lingering effect of all things that have been out, a, a lot of things that have been out of people's control. Um, but regardless of that, my hope, for my wife who was signed up this year is it will come back. And I think that's your plan. So why don't you kind of give us um, a brief kind of uh, familiarity with that event. We'll take a break. And if we want to touch back on some of that, cause I know there's still some planning and, and figuring just like Todd with polar roll, you're scheming, you're thinking, you're smart, you're a racer, you're a, a person in the community. You're thinking about that. So let us know what winter shakedown has been. Maybe, and we'll take a break. And if we want to, we can talk about what it might also be. Sure. 
so the winter shakedown is kind of an intro into cold weather camping, uh, bike packing, and fat bike riding. So just rolling everything all into one. Um, and I take my experience from winter ultras, and then I've been lucky enough to have some 45 North Salsa teammates come out for the events as well. Um, but we just gather all of our experience from fat bike racing and to talk about things that you would experience in a winter ultra. Um, so we practice going through gear checks so you know what to experience or, or what to expect when you show up uh, to a winter race that does a gear check. Uh, so we have a list of required gear that you'll need. Um, a, a big part of winter ultras is becoming familiar with your gear and learning how to use it and being comfortable with using it. So at the winter shakedown, we do a water boil. We practice melting snow uh, with our camp stoves. We practice bivying, tips for bivying. Um, there's actually sometimes in the winter in the cold when I'll just sleep in my sleeping bag instead of the bivy. So we kind of discuss um, like why you would do certain things or uh, practice. Maybe condensation is or moisture is playing a role there. Yep, absolutely. Um, so we just kind of practice using our bikes, practice with the gear, uh, winter maintenance for your bike. Uh, and it's really, it's fun because it's kind of a community thing. So everybody gets together and we all practice together. Um, but I still, I mean, I, I learn things all the time from other people. And so it's just this big welcoming kind of environment where we, we practice using everything, we practice tips. Um, it's not intimidating at all. So you can ask questions, um, but it's, it's just kind of a, a, a good learning experience. Um, yeah, because practice in the field so much different than practice in your house yeah and it's or even watching a bunch of youtube let's go even further you know doing it in the cold how does your fuel react when we talk to boiling water and things like that and um you know one thing I, two things i wanted to point out is you mentioned a gear list and i think one of the most intimidating things in winter ultras is the gear list there's so many items that you have to invest a pretty significant amount of money to hopefully never use, yeah. you know, yeah. it to a certain degree, you know, um, yours is not an overwhelming gear list. Uh, I know in some of the emails my wife got, it's like, bring what you have supplement with what you've got and we'll figure it out. Um, talk about kind of, well, you know what, let's take a break. And then I'm going to talk about the line from where you want people to find things out you know, you know, can be a kind of tumultuous situation. Um, but it's a life experience versus where you just need to step in and be like, yo, that ain't gonna fly and you're gonna die. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> uh, you don't have to say it like that. I, we got, you know, so we're gonna take a break. Stay tuned. I'll be back with more with Jill Martindale. All right, everybody. We are back on the new PNEU. Uh, that's the way it can be old and new. Uh, podcast with my friend Jill Martindale and we were just talking about an event she promotes uh, to educate and inform and uh, maybe provide a platform for people to look up uh, or to learn about ultra cycling and even I would say just winter camping in general winter survival probably to a degree um, but what we ended with before the break was where does Jill as a promoter feel like she um, wants to let the leash out a little bit and people maybe get cold overnight, you know, or, or things that are that way versus, um, 
stepping in and saying, I'm just not going to let this fly because this is a safety concern for you, whether you know it or not. Oh, crap. Can you not hear me, Jill? I can hear you, but it, um, it kind of got... It kind of got a little garbled. That's fine. I'll just start it all over and I'll just edit it out. Can you hear me clearer now? Yeah. Um, so I'll just do the whole intro and come back in. Okay, sweet. Internet, you know, fuck it. Got to adapt, right? You just got to figure shit out. Yeah, that's all you got to do. <laughs> you just roll with punches. Hey, everybody. We are back with Jill Martindale uh, on the new podcast, same old podcast, still new. Um, We were talking about Winter Shakedown, which is Jill's event that she promotes as an educational uh, opportunity uh, platform for a community to experience winter ultra, winter cycling, winter camping, and to a degree, winter survival. I think we can agree. Um, And where we stopped before the break was I had asked Jill where she, as a promoter and an experienced uh, winter survivalist, let's just say, um, where she allows things to happen so that people can learn lessons versus where she feels that she needs to step in before maybe a a safety concern or, you know, just allowing someone to dig themselves a hole because I would assume your event is not like uh, I told you so kind of situation. (laughs) so you know where do you think that that you just your experience your knowledge and then also as a promoter you you need to step in because I take winter very seriously I guess I always talk about safety in winter even on casual rides winter is not to be messed with neither is heat but you know yeah um so the winter shakedown is only a 40 mile uh it's got a 40 mile route to it um, and then we also take other safety precautions for beginners. So like we do a night ride um, early on in the, ev- in the weekend. So it's a weekend event. Um, so Friday night we do a night ride and then we've got somewhere warm for people to warm up. So if your stuff does get dry, then you can dry it out and try again. Um, so uh, we try to stick together for the Friday night ride. So everybody kind of gets the buddy system. You get to keep an eye on each other. And then the 40 mile route on Saturday, uh, we have two aid stations. (coughs) So um, the aid station, we've got volunteers who check in. They look for signs of frostbite. Uh, They make sure that everything's dry. There's usually a bonfire pit there. So if you did get sweaty when you get to the first checkpoint, you get to dry out, uh, ready to go. So it's it's, um, kind of a... It's an event where even if you do get yourself into a hole, um, we give you proper tools to be able to dig yourself out versus if you were doing something like Scobia or Arrowhead and you're 70 miles in and uh, you've just left Mel George and you're dripping sweat, you're kind of, what are you going to do? Yeah, Yeah. what are you going to do? You don't want to put yourself in a dark hole and, and, you know, put yourself at risk of frostbite or hypothermia or anything like that so by keeping the winter shakedowns route short um it's a great opportunity to try new things um and if you make a a mistake um you're not going to pay for it so we have enough volunteers and seg support where if you do put yourself in a hole 
we we can help you out. Um, but if you do not finish the route, it means your finishes patch. Is what it is. You didn't finish. You don't get the patch. And, and I want to add something, just because I knew um, in the past. You know, when we're talking about support, you've only had about 40 participants, correct? Yeah, we keep it small enough so that it can stay intimate. We can keep track of everybody. Yeah, this isn't a 500-person race that you're hoping there's a snowmobile or a vehicle or something. Just to clarify, you know, it's it's not a big race. It's a educational weekend. I would, I mean, that has a race aspect. Yeah, you can ride the route as fast or as slow as you want. Um, you can go into it with a mindset that you want to, you know, finish it as fast as possible and see if you stay dry. But it's also just um, kind of designed towards learning, getting comfortable, um, knowing how to dig yourself out of situations where maybe you did make a mistake, um, practicing with your gear, and just getting used to all the different, you know. Yeah, winter is rough. <laughs> like, there's things can break it's too cold um things just fail i mean uh, like that's the word i always use break sure i mean full-on fail <laughs> so um yeah the winter shakedown is really fun um to me it just feels like hanging out with a bunch of friends all weekend but with the added bonus of like trying out uh new ways to pack the bike um trying out different tire pressure uh, working on handling skills. I think one thing too that a lot of people, um, if they want to do like winter bike packing, they think, oh, I ride my fat bike all the time. I'm going to go quick for this overnighter for the first time ever. Uh, and then you load your bike up with all the gear and you realize that handling is like completely changed. <laughs> yeah, not the same. Again, practice in the field, not just like putting bags on your bike in the basement, you know? Uh, not. I mean, you should do that also. <laughs> but it's not, it's another extension. It's the next level. Um, speaking of gear that, well, they don't make a fat rim, but if they did, it wouldn't fail either. Uh, gear that doesn't fail. People are sitting here going, you know, oh man, Jill Martindale must be nice to be sitting around with some kombucha and a couple of cool dogs and just riding her bike. She, that's the life. Jill has a real job folks. Jill Martindale is the friendliest voice you'll ever talk to at Velocity USA, uh, who, if you don't know, Velocity is a rim hub, uh, wheel components, I'll just call them provider here in the USA, um, do a bunch of cool color, all kinds of things. Jill, how long have you been at uh, Velocity? Uh, this summer will be my third year at Velocity. That's awesome. I think Velocity seems like such a... I don't want to use the word hip, but like with it kind of cool, the people that I know that are there, I like the, I really like a lot of aspects. When you call, I can say from a shop perspective, you get education, you get the answers. And if they don't know it, they'll dig in or they'll accommodate in ways they can. Um, people should check out Velocity Rims for a lot of things. How come with Jill Martindale on staff, do I need to talk to somebody about getting a fat rim made? <laughs> So the, the tough thing with the fat bike rims, um, so the widest rim that we make is the dually. Yeah. And that is the widest rim uh, that our machines can roll. roll. Yeah. yeah. So um, so we make aluminum bicycle rims. Uh, aluminum is the only material that we make the rims out of. Uh, so no carbon. 
but we get these huge long pieces of extrusion from Arizona and they get delivered by a truck. And then uh, these huge long pieces are then rolled by hand. Um, they kind of get fed into this little machine, but you still have to guide them. Uh, so they get rolled by hand and then we slice them, join them, uh, drill them, anodize them in house. Um, so in order to move to a fat bike rim, first of all, we'd have to improve all of our equipment that does that. Um, That's not cheap. No, it's so expensive. Um, and then secondly, it's tough to make a better aluminum epigram than what Head offers. And they're, um, they're friends of ours, and we actually offer a fat bike build on our hubs and the head uh, rims. So um, aside from being really expensive to make our own, um, how would we always look to see, like, how can we improve something? And so if you're making a single wall aluminum fabric rim, what improvements would you make? Yeah, I mean, the only thing, the only thing that I could even, like, come up with would be tubeless technology, I guess. Um, but I am a huge proponent of um, being friends. <laughs> and I love when, if I can't do it better, I'll just call my buddy who does it really awesome. And I don't need the credit. We can be pals on all this. And I think that's really interesting. I would add that a lot of aluminum ribs in the fat world are pretty darn good. Like, you know, DT Swiss makes a pretty darn good. Uh, the non-OE spec Sunringly rim is okay. Uh, so I, I understand that. And obviously a rim rolling machine's not inexpensive. Uh, I just had to poke the bear a little bit because, you know, I'd want you on my rims. Yeah. <laughs> um, you also ride, as we mentioned earlier, for 45 North. Um, probably, uh, did you know Chelsea before you guys were on the initial team? Because she was on the podcast a long time ago, and she talked about you, Danielle, um, April. Yeah. And yeah. her, right? That was the four, right? Daniel Musto. April Morgan, you and Chelsea Strait. And that and I said it then and I'll say it now. That's a bad mammer jammer of a team. Uh, I don't care what gender, I don't care what you're talking about. That's pretty legit, sweet team, you know. Um, did you know her before that? So I met Chelsea uh, the year before uh, we joined the 45 North team. Um, I was racing in the Great Lakes Fat Bike Series. And I would see her at a, a couple of the different events. Um, and at Fat Chance at Crystal Mountain, um, up in the city, Chelsea and I kept kind of going back and forth. Um, and then right after we, we both finished that race, kind of hugged it out and then became the best friends forever. Rivalries breed the best friendships, right? <laughs> I don't didn't really feel like we were rivals well maybe competition let's just say you know because there's a level of respect because you know what you put in and if they're right where they're with you they they must have dedicated x to be there too i guess was always my perspective on it i could not stop giggling because like uh that, that you're at that chance it was kind of um like there were some fast rolling conditions but every time you did a lap it was like a time race whoever could do the most laps uh, so every time you went out for a new lap, it just got mushier and mushier from all the people being out there. And every time somebody crashes and then hike a bikes, it just destroys the trail. So you're out there, like trying to, there's this one spot that was just like so rutted. 
and you would try to, you know, gain momentum and build up speed and then just like pile it. So we were just like laughing so hard trying to ride this like mushy stuff. That's a, and that's an awesome, you know, in that realm, you know, it, just that understanding that like, man, we're in this kind of together, you know, we'll, we'll get through this and we'll see what happens kind of thing. Um, I'm glad Chelsea's at Wolf Tooth. Me too. I, I like, I like all the Wolf Tooth stuff. Um, so I've interviewed Steve Cannon and I did a Rod 1000 finisher. I've been uh, interviewed Jay Peter Verio. I did a Rod 1000 finisher and now I'm getting a wonderful opportunity to chat with you. And I did a Rod 1000 finisher. And again, the only woman ever to share the top podium step overall of the event. Um, and what I pick up from everyone, there's some, I don't want to call it secrecy. It's not secrecy, but like, if you don't know, you, you just don't, we don't want to give all the, the plot lines, right? We don't get to give the script to everyone. But your so specifically, and I want to say again, top overall spot, first place is what that means, folks. Shared first place of everyone. <laughs> um, you had, and to my knowledge and my research, this is the only year this has really occurred. Um, you had a situation, as you talked, you had some 30 degree conditions and things like that. There was a melting of a fairly large body of water. <laughs> Can you just talk about that? I don't, you know, I think to talk in depth about the 1000 mile experiences, A, cannot be in one podcast with you and B, cannot be just a facet of one podcast with you. So if we want to chat about that in depth later, I'm all in. Let's just talk about the, the fact that ice turns to water when it gets warm and what that does towards the end of the thousand mile journey. Yeah, it was, um, it was completely surreal. Uh, so, yeah. we, <laughs> so we crossed the Bering Sea. And um, so essentially with fat bike riding, when the weather is fluctuating everywhere, if the going is good, keep going. So like we had the opportunity um, to maybe stop at a sheltered cabin or um, like a village. And we had, we could have stayed and kind of chilled a little bit longer, but instead we, we decided to keep going because the conditions were good. Um, and I remember looking at my GPS, my little e-tracks and seeing that we're like our, our little line, we were riding over all the water. And I was like, dudes, like my mom would freak out if she knew I was riding over this right now because like my mom gets afraid to even drive over the Mackinac Bridge. <laughs> so the fact that we're like all over this ice, we were just like- The fact that her daughter is literally on ice in the Bering Sea on a bicycle. I think your mom can get some cred all moms slight concern at minimum she I, she is a trooper she i don't think she picked out that bad but like i also wasn't in contact with her for a couple of days yeah around. <laughs> yeah uh, but um yeah so you could see like big cracks in the ice or um there were a couple of spots where like maybe chunks of the ice had shifted so like you're riding along and then all of a sudden there's just this little ledge where you kind of keep riding um but we made it across and it was all good. And then a storm surge came through and destroyed the sea ice and just it broke it up. And the next day, the, the bay was pretty much, I mean, it was open, it was clear. Nobody could get across anymore. Um, and so if 
the sled dog race uh, wasn't at the same point uh, of the route that we were, if say there were like teams still behind, then I did a rod uh, sled dog, the sled dog race, they would have sent some trail breakers to do like an overland route around the Bering Sea. But since all the sled dog mushers were already on the other side, uh, they had to evacuate everybody else who was doing the ITI. Anybody who was in the Bering Sea, like Juicy K was, um, he was a little bit further. I think they had to send a helicopter to pick him up or maybe it was just a, a private plane or something. Mom, I'm sorry, but that's the craziest shit I've ever heard on a bike ride. Yeah. Well, the, so we were, um, we made it to Elam, uh, which is on the other side of the Bering Sea. Were people just like, how did you get here? No. Because they, like, uh, we saw some of the trail breakers on the snow machines. Um, so we actually, it was, uh, like, we got into Elam, and then we, we got to sleep. The next morning was when uh, we had heard that the storms are broken everything. So um, from Elam, you're supposed to ride along the coastline, um, along some sea ice, and then you jump back up on the trail. But we were really lucky because we were with 11 of the sled dog teams. Um, mm. So we were with the trail breakers and we were with the last of the sled dog teams. Um, so they sent the trail breakers out for an overland route. Um, so we would have been screwed and we would have had to evacuate had we not been uh, with the mushrooms. And the, there was just three of you that made it, correct? Yep. Me, Peter, and Casey, um, just the three of us. And we were and Peter's like, a former champion, had, yep. had co won it in the past, correct? He had, yeah, um, in 2019, um, yep. he was co-champion um, with another racer. Mm -hmm. so, the two um, so Peter, having him along was amazing because, like, he got to tell us, like, which shelter cabins had the best wood stoves. Um, and, like, he helped us a lot with, like, knowing where to sleep. So having that insider information is amazing. Yeah, but that's part of it. You know, if they're there, stick with it, right? Uh, was it a northern or a southern route this year? It was a northern route. Um, at what point, was there a point where you guys decided we just crossed and survived the Bering Sea and we're the only three, so we're going to survive this together? Or did it just naturally come because you three crossed the Bering Sea and you're the only ones that survived to get across it, you know, kind of thing? We was there still some like, man, it's down to three. Let's really see what's up now, you know, kind of, or was it like, ooh. Well, when we left uh, McGrath, um, the three of us left with GCK. Uh, and I think the idea was to kind of maybe stick together as long as we could and work together and then gradually kind of split up. Um, so after we slept in over, we kind of split up. Casey went on ahead um, and I went. Uh, Peter's hub had failed, <laughs> so he had to wait for a new hub to be like overnighted to him. But he was—I mean, Peter was amazing because he like strapped his cassette onto his rear wheel and rode. I saw that, cars. like made it a fixie, right? Yeah, was, yeah. And he still, like he crushed me like on some of the climbs and stuff. Like he would pass me and be like, "How is this?" Guy Didn't he like zip tie stuff? the cassette to the spokes or something? Wasn't that how he stabilized it? Yeah, he was like a strap. Yeah. Um, to just like catch it right onto the spokes so that was i thought pretty brilliant and practice in the field yeah <laughs> um so he had it uh he had a a new hub for the new parts that he needed uh kind of blown out um and then when we were at a 
bed and breakfast. Uh, he just kind of stayed up all night, like, fixing the wheel, which is cool. He actually fell asleep with, like, the parts, like, his hub in his hand. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Um, so, yeah, so we were in Elam. Uh, it wasn't until, um, where was it? It was the village just before White Mountain. No, was it after yeah, it was the village after White Mountains. Um, we were in this little like uh, little cabin that we were renting, and Peter was like, finally at that point, like we had verbally acknowledged. Peter was like, "Okay, we got to talk about this." Yeah, are right. Together, or are we not? Because at that point, we had less than a hundred miles. To right. It's either go or no go now. No one's snaking each other at the line here. <laughs> yeah, none of none of that sprint finish stuff. Right, right, right. Not doing it. Yeah, it, it was just really great having the three of us um, to work together because as villages were shutting down um, and we weren't able to sleep in schools and stuff, uh, we could practice or we could break the trail. Or um, leaving Elam, there was a whiteout on top of one of the hills, and uh, we couldn't see the there were no trail markers because it was a new overhand route. Um, so the three of us got to work together and kind of like bridge out so that um, like I could see Peter and I would walk until I could see Zeus. More field of vision kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Holy moly. Well, we can't, you know, uh, one last thing on. How surreal was it to be the top? Like once it's all done, over with, all the prep, all the training all the money, all the travel, all the trials, all the everything. Surreal, it's not expected, but, you know, like, did you go, obviously things can go awry, but, like, was there a confidence that that layered there that was, like, I'm ready to do this if I don't have things stop me, you know? Um, I had spent, you know, over five years, like, wanting to get out to do I did a ride, and I love Alaska, and I it was like everything was geared towards that for so long. Um, so finishing was amazing. And I knew that I put the work in. So I knew that I earned it. Um, but then I got home and I got home during the pandemic. Uh, so I, w- I don't know. It was like I struggled in 2020, like trying to find like purpose again and um, trying to find like another goal to motivate myself. Um, and then it's sad that it's over already because like it was, I mean, 22 days is a long time to be on a trail, but I love I, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, th- I hear that a lot from ultra people that uh, the unwind is, can be very difficult and add the situations in 2020 with everything. It didn't make it any easier. Just go hang out at your buddy's house, you know? Every time I talk about ITI though, like, um, I remember something new. Like, That's awesome. Which is really cool, but I just don't, like, I don't ever want to forget any of it. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, well, Jill, if you, uh, if you ever want to, we can, we can dedicate as much time to chatting. I do know Jill did a Q&A on QBP's site, Quality Bicycle Products, that involves some of Iditarod stuff and winter things too. So in addition, you can check that out. I think it's probably on YouTube. Or if you send me a link, I'll add it. Um, Jill, Iditarod 1000 is intense. But are you ready for the lightning round? Bow, 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 bow. 
That's what I'm talking. You don't have to shoot guns. I will shoot guns. I just choose to. It's just off the top of your head. Not like any of this has been scripted, but it's just off the top of your head. Four, I think I have four for you. Just questions. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. What warms you up on a very cold ride? Food or drink or uh, mittens. I don't care what it is. Cinnamon gum. Like Big Red? Yeah, like Big Red. Nice. I heard that one. What's one piece of gear that you don't consider um, safety-wise or protocol-wise necessary, but in the mind of Jill Martindale is absolutely necessary on every ultra? And it doesn't have to be like a, you know, undergarment or something. You know, I mean, we know you need socks and stuff like um, I think a memento, like something that makes you of uh, uh, happiness, something that makes you smile. Cool. So um, for ITI, I packed some uh, light up, glowy, like uh, nine or eighty style, like glow in the dark glasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's not on the required gear checklist. There, no. Oh, crazy! Well, we'll get that amended. We'll talk to them too. Yeah. They were hard to ride in. <laughs> I imagine. Peter and Casey got it there too. That's awesome. Um, since Velocity does in-house anodizing, when you get a pair of rims and you don't even have a bike for it to go on because that's how we roll, what color are they anodized? Olive green is the most uh, recent custom. Oh, olive anno. I'm going to check that out. I usually think of olive as a matte. Um, mine are olive matte but we do a process that we call a wet custom anode. So like we'll take a polished rim and, and anodize over that. Um, so I've got like the wet turquoise on one of my Like it. If there is a temperature, what temperature is just too dang cold for Joe Martindale to say, I'm gonna, I don't want to ride my bike today. You can uh, say it doesn't exist. I'm happy. I'm fine with that. I would say temperature wise, that doesn't exist, but humidity wise, if it's like really humid and damp out, I don't like it. Yeah. I still try to force myself, but yeah. I don't like yeah. it. Gravel, that's your challenge then, right? This winter stuff's cakewalk. Gravel is brutal. <laughs> Jill, that was an easy one. I should have done more. That was so easy one. Lightning round bow, 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 completed by Jill Martindale. If I think of another good one, I'm going to ask it still. I reserve that right. Jill, um, throw out some of your plugs. How can people find out about you? I mean, you, you got your hands on a lot, but um, winter shakedown, it, maybe, maybe not if we're working on where it's going, which I didn't get to talk about, but um, 45 North Velocity, Jill. Instagram, Facebook, you know, whatever. QBP, yeah. Q&A, if you want to tout that, throw that out there. Yeah, I ride for Salsa Cycles, too. So there's Yeah, Salsa Cycles. How do I not say that? How does my podcast not say Salsa Cycles until right now? Salsa Cycles. I have Bear Grease, Salsa Cycles. She rides the Muck Luck, Salsa Cycles. <laughs> um, kind of my thing. So like, that's kind of my thing, right? <laughs> Uh, so the winter shakedown, um, we have some some swag that says winter shakedown 2021. So that sort of dictates that we will be meeting in December. Of it's on. It's on. Uh, so we'll be renting um, a space where we'll have 
like an indoor lodge so that you can warm up, have some food, use the bathrooms, running water, all that good safety stuff, um, but also you'll be able to go outside. Um, so that'll be posted soon. Um, uh, Skirts in the Dirt is a women's only mountain bike race I also organize. Yeah. That'll be in, in August, August 15th. Um, Night What's your Instagram so, handle, Jill? Yeah, uh, my Instagram is Bill Martindale. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. Also, uh, if I called you on my cell phone, my caller ID also shows up as Bill Martindale. That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. 45north45north.com, velocityusa.com, is that correct? Yep, you got yep. it. Uh, follow me on instagram um i'm on facebook too but feel free to shoot me any questions um i've got a blog that has not been updated in over a year um yeah. and my goals for this year is to start updating it more frequently so jillmartindale.blogspot awesome wealth of information for a lot of people you know ladies guys uh, agent my dog that's running over there i'm sure joe could teach him a thing or two i wish somebody would uh <laughs> I'm Adam Blake. I'm AM Blake 50 on Instagram. Uh, but mostly it's just food right now as I'm kind of doing the chef stuff. Um, I really want to thank you, Jill. Uh, people don't know we've, we've getting together, getting together, getting together, get there. So I'm so glad to get sit down and chat with you. If we get more time in the future, I'm always open and I appreciate it. And when you guys see this page, it's going to have one of my very favorite pictures that was ever taken of me. Uh, with Jill in front of uh, or in the back of Mulready's Pub in Emporia, Kansas. I can't wait. Uh, I, I want to say thank you to you, Adam. Like, thank you for making time. Uh, oh, it's my pleasure. Oh, so my pleasure. I tell everyone this is like such a luxury for me that I get your time and that I get to just pick because these are, I think about a lot of this stuff, you know, but I just really love um, just being able to have people come on and openly just, just no BS. It, it, this is Jill. This is Jill all the time. You know, uh, this is me all the time. <laughs> and, and I like that I can facilitate genuine conversations between friends and people in the industry and all that. So the appreciation may be mutual, but it, I get extra you for, for towards you. <laughs> you made me feel so fuzzy when you did my intro. Ah, I, it, I could said I could say more. All right, everybody. We are also only on fat-bike.com, number one place for fat bike. Also adventure, also gravel. Keep track of uh, 45 North stuff, all that stuff, fat-bike.com, just to clarify. Um, I'm Adam. Jill, you're wonderful. Everybody, uh, keep your uh, wheels rolling. If you're in the snow, drop some pressure. Thanks, everybody.